Today's scripture reading is found in Matthew 19, 16 through 26. I'll be reading from the NIV. Hear the word of the Lord. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus, Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, David. Thank you, Dana and team. Good morning, Trinity Church. So good to see you here this morning. Pastor Jeff Gangle, just back from vacation with my family. Beth is still up in Wisconsin with our kids, helping our son who's recovering from ACL, knee surgery, and... Uh, so, but I'm glad to be back with you. Bethel will be coming back later this week. Um, you know, as we sang this morning, I hope your heart was moved as mine was, just the reminders of God's faithfulness and his goodness that we sang. It came up a number of times in those songs that we sang, right? Even in our own sinfulness, even in our own desperation, in our own troubles and struggles, then God is faithful. Always he is good. Um, it's so great to be reminded of that this morning. So um, as we start moving right now into our study of God's Word, I want to pause for a minute. One of our, our uh, mottos or sayings here at Trinity Church is stop and pray, that when something comes up or you're talking to somebody, prayer is needed, you stop right there, not just say, well, we'll pray for you later or pray for you then, or we'll pray right now. And uh, I, there's a... Uh, an update on, uh, on uh, Mark Pereira, and uh, some of you know uh, Mark and Cynthia, usually right up here, sitting right up here on this front side, and Mike was telling me this morning, he had surgery yesterday, but for infection, um, and they could not do anything about it yesterday, it was so bad, they had to close him back up, and they're just going to wait and, and look at having another surgery, so I just want us together today to stop and pray for Mark, and... Uh, uh, Barbara, it's so good to see Barbara here. We've been praying for Barbara. She is back after knee surgery and doing so well, standing on both feet. So, Barbara, good to see you here. Wonderful answer to prayer. But Mark is not doing so well. 
So we want to stop and pray for him. At the same time, pray that God would speak his word to our hearts this morning. So let's do that together. Lord, as we come to you this morning, we come acknowledging, we've just been singing about your wonderful faithfulness, your great goodness. And uh, Lord, if it were not for that, if it were not for your grace and your power and your work in our lives, we would have no hope, we would have no reason to gather here this morning, no reason to sing, no reason to be studying this word of yours. But because you are who you are, we have every reason to do so. And we also have every reason to come with, with, with faith and hope that as we bring requests to you, because over and over, Lord, we see your faithfulness and goodness in our lives. And so, Lord, this morning we pray for Mark and Cynthia. We pray that you would minister to them, give them hope, give them courage in this moment of, of this trial right now. Lord, I pray that you give the doctors wisdom, help them to know how and when to do this surgery, to, to help eradicate this infection. But, Lord, most of all, we pray that you would be his healer, do the miraculous work in him by your spirit that only you can do, that the doctors can't do, that no medicine can do. Lord, would you do that for him by your power? That's our prayer this morning. You are his healer, and so we pray for that healing power at work in him this week. And, Lord, we pray for your power at work in us right now, too, as we come to your word. Lord, we need you to speak to us. We need you to work in us. We need you to take your living word and by the power of your living spirit, teach us what it means to follow you. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we look at your words, your words would speak right to our hearts today. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me get out of the way. I'm certainly unworthy of being a spokesperson for you this morning, but I pray, Lord, that you would use my weakness and and my words this morning to help communicate your powerful living word and that that would do its work on us today. And Lord, all this we pray in the powerful name of your Holy Spirit and of your Son, Jesus. Amen. There's a new space race going on. I'm sure you're probably aware of this. It's called space tourism. You know, there's always the dreams as I was growing up that this, someday this would happen, you know, that normal people, not just trained astronauts, would get into space. And it is now happening. It was, in fact, just about a year ago from this past week that Blue Origin took its first flight into space, July 20th, 2021. There were four people on board that flight. Of course, one was Jeff Bezos, who is the founder of Blue Origin and, and also the founder of Amazon. And this, as a billionaire, he's got the money to put all this together, and so he gets the first seat, obviously. His brother, Mark, was also on that flight. He probably got the second seat. That's, I guess, one of the benefits of being a family member of, of a billionaire. This, the third seat was supposed to go to somebody who won a $28 million auction. So this seat went up for auction. This person paid $28 million for that seat on this first Blue Origin flight. But that person didn't go on that flight because of a schedule conflict. <laughs> yeah, I, I, what could possibly... You spend $28 million on a seat, and what, is it, is it a dentist appointment? Is that what it was? <laughs> what could be so important? I don't know, but this person didn't go. And so a CEO of another company, Somerset Capital Partners, bought a ticket and sent his son. So the young guy there on the left is his son, Oliver, who got one of the seats on that first flight. The fourth person on that flight was Wally Funk. She is an 82-year-old 
uh, aviator who went as a guest. She didn't pay for herself. She went as a guest of Jeff Bezos. So that flight went. Another flight went later, a little later in the fall. And December the 3rd, Blue Origin flight went up, this time with six passengers. That's a full load. That's every seat taken on this Blue Origin flight. Here's that crew. It's kind of more like the commercial flights nowadays where they fill every seat, right? So all six seats were full. Four of those seats were paying customers. Not sure how many millions of dollars they paid, but they paid for their seats. The, the fifth person was Michael Strahan, who got an invitation from, from Bezos, probably because of his star power as a former NFL player, maybe as a TV personality now. In other words, his fame got him on that flight, probably. The sixth seat was given to Laura Shepard Churchley. Maybe you haven't heard of her, but I'm sure you've heard of her father, Alan Shepard, who was the first American in space. She was invited as well on that flight. I tell you about this and, and just kind of describe these crews because the bottom line is if you want to fly into space as a tourist, you either need to be rich and famous or know somebody related to somebody who is. That's the pattern at least so far. So the question I have for us this morning is, is that true of Christ's kingdom too? This kingdom that we've been talking about this summer, is that true? Is it for the rich and the famous or those who are related to them? We're going to look at that this morning. We've been in, in this series this summer. We're about halfway through this 12-week sermon series. We've titled it Upside Down Kingdom. That's because we've been looking at the sayings of Jesus, these kind of counterintuitive sayings of Jesus about his countercultural kingdom. Because every time Jesus talked about the kingdom, people's jaws dropped. It was like, what is he saying? What is he, how could that be? The kingdom was not what people expected. And in our passage today, it's another surprising statement that Jesus makes this time as it pertains to the entry requirements, talking about who gets in to this kingdom. So today's title is A Kingdom of Heavenly Treasure. Heavenly Treasure. Please turn in your Bibles, if you're not there already, to Matthew 19. That's our passage today. As always at Trinity here, we invite you and ask you to bring a Bible on your phone or device or in a uh, literal copy in hand. If you don't have one, there are a few Bibles around underneath the bench, but we'll put some of the verses on the screen as well. We want you to know that this is God's Word that we are looking at and learning from. So in the text here, Jesus had just informed His disciples in the crowds that the kingdom is for little children. And if you were here back in June, one of our messages in June passage was on that one from a different gospel, but the same story of Jesus inviting little children and saying the kingdom of God is for children and for those who have faith like a child. That was an important lesson. That was an upside-down principle. He goes right on from that in this Matthew 19 passage, and he gives us another baffling principle about the kingdom. And in this time, the disciples are even more confused than they were when Jesus said that the kingdom was for children. And Matthew goes into the story here, and he doesn't give us a name of this particular man that interacts with Jesus, but he does tell us that this was a young man, that it was a wealthy man. If you go to the same story, the same account in the book of Luke, Luke adds that he was a ruler, so he was a leader of some kind. So this guy was part of the rich and famous in Jewish society of that day. And he wanted a seat on Jesus' kingdom flight. He wanted to be one of the first. But by the end of the account here, as you heard David just read this, the rich young ruler 
walks away. So what happened? Why did he walk away? What kept him from getting into the kingdom? What was the barrier for him? And that's what I want us to see this morning. What are the barriers to faith in Christ today? Because maybe you experienced some barriers coming to Christ. Maybe you're up against one right now. Maybe you know somebody, a friend or a family member, who is up against a barrier to their faith. It's important we understand what those heart barriers are. And we'll see two specifically in this passage today. Here's the first one. Entry into Christ's kingdom requires absolute goodness. Entry into this kingdom requires absolute goodness. Let's take a look at this. The man asked this opening question, and it reveals a lot about his heart, doesn't it? Verse 16, he says, Teacher, what good thing must I do? What good thing must I do to get eternal life? So clearly he'd been hearing Jesus teaching about the kingdom, about heaven, about eternal life. And so he assumes that entrance into this kingdom would require a certain level of goodness, something you've got to do. And this guy kind of looked at his own life and he figured he probably, maybe more than anybody else, measured up. He said, I think I've got this. And so he comes to Jesus with this question, but knowing about his own life, he's probably asking the question so that he could publicly affirm that he had done it all, that he measured up. But Jesus' initial response seems a little strange in in regard to the question that was asked. So Jesus says, verse 17, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. Now, of course, Jesus is referring to God the Father as the one who is good. But in saying, why do you ask me? He's saying, so are you identifying me with the one who is good? Because that's exactly what the case was. That was the fact. As the son of the Father, Jesus was the only one good enough, the only one on earth who has ever been good enough on his own to enter this kingdom. But Jesus it seems, plays along with this man for a little bit. So he says, if basically if he wants to know how good he has to be getting, to get into the kingdom, then Jesus goes to the standard of the law. That was the standard of that day for God's people. Verse 17, he says, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward, right? In other words, he's saying, if you want to do, this, the man was asking, remember, what do I need to do? He says, okay, if you want to do something to get into the heaven, then what you have to do is keep the commandments. And so this guy, he's, he's kind of smart about this, so he says, well, but which ones? Which commandments? Because certainly Jesus couldn't mean you have to keep all the commandments all the time. That couldn't possibly be so. Jesus, which ones? Which commands are you talking about here? And Jesus continues playing along. He, said, he lists five of what we call the Ten Commandments, And then he gives this all-encompassing command. Did you notice this? He says, and love your neighbor as yourself, which really captures all the rest of the law, everything else about these ethical principles. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus wanted this man to begin to see the folly of his question and the realization that he could not measure up. But the man still has these blinders on, still looks at himself and sees, yeah, I'm a pretty good guy. He says, all these I have kept. That's a pretty bold statement. 
all the commands, really? You really kept all the commands all your life? Some of the other gospels you, about this account say, he, he, he answered and he said, since I was a child. I've kept all these commands since I was a child. But what do I still lack, he asks. So the man, even in his self-righteousness, felt there was something missing. He thought he was good enough, or at least that he could be good enough. If Jesus would just give him that one more deed, one more thing that he needed to do, he would do it, and he would get into the kingdom. He would get into heaven. And that, in a nutshell, is the problem with self-righteousness. See, that's the issue here. That's what Jesus is poking at with his questions, with his answers, and what this man is revealing in himself. The attitude is, I, I'm good enough. I got this. Or if you just tell me what I need to do, I can be good enough. Tell me what is I need to do, and I'll do it. That's the guy's attitude. That's self-righteousness. I can do it myself. And that kind of self-righteousness keeps people from faith. It keeps them out of heaven. It's a barrier to this kingdom. It was a barrier for this man, and it's been a barrier for multitudes of others since. You know, if I, let's say I walked up to the gates at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, and I said, I want to talk to the president, and I rattle the gates a little bit, I probably would maybe get the attention of a security guard or two who would come over, but they wouldn't let me in. And I could stand there and argue my case. I could say, hey, I'm, I'm a good citizen. I, I voted in every election. I can quote the Pledge of Allegiance. You ought to let me in. Sorry, you're not getting in. Hey, I've, I've obeyed every law of this country all my life, which probably wouldn't be true. But they still wouldn't let me in, even if they believed me. They wouldn't let me in. Why? Why wouldn't I get in with that? Well, because you don't get into the White House by just being a good person, by keeping the laws. And no one gets into the upside-down kingdom by being good enough either. See, this man had asked the wrong question from the beginning. That's part of the problem here. He asked the wrong question. He said, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And that's not how it even works. So Jesus leads him down this path to show him it's not going to work this way. The standard is perfection. And he says, only one is good enough. Only Jesus lived a perfect life. Only he, on his own, was good enough for heaven. See, if you want to earn your way to heaven, you have to keep every commandment. You have to do every good deed. You have to get it right every single time. That is impossible. Nobody has ever done that except Jesus. That's our problem. And the Bible says this, and this is not just me quoting here. I want you to see this from Scripture as well. Isaiah 64, 6. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. In comparison to God's perfection, even the good things we do are not good enough. Psalm 14.3, there is one who does good. There is no one who does good, not even one. 
Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's our problem. That's the issue. And this young ruler sincerely thought he could be good enough for the kingdom of heaven, and he was sincerely wrong. And when he kept pressing Jesus and wanting to justify himself in front of everybody else, Jesus now raises the stakes even higher. And as he does this, he actually exposes another barrier for this young man. Look at this. Here's our second point this morning. Entry into Christ's kingdom requires relative poverty. Yes, it, it requires absolute goodness in us, which isn't there, but it also requires a relative poverty in, our, in ourselves and our lives. So this guy comes, he's so self-assured about his good works, but Jesus knew his particular Achilles heel. He knew his weakness. He knew what the issue would be for this man. And so he says in verse 21, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, remember that's the issue here. The guy wants to do enough. He wants to be perfect. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So Jesus essentially is calling this man's bluff right here, right? He wanted to be perfect in his good deeds, and that would require showing that he really did love his neighbor. He said, if you want to do this, then what you need to do, get rid of all your stuff, give it away. Come follow me. He had to be willing to give up everything for others, trust Jesus with his life. So following Jesus would mean accepting this idea of relative poverty, meaning poverty in the world standards, and finding riches in God's standard, in God's value system. And Jesus says that. But he couldn't do it. He wasn't ready for that kind of cost. So he looks down at the ground maybe a little bit, shuffles his feet a little bit, reaches and feels for his wallet in his back pocket, and walks away. It's so sad. He couldn't do it. He couldn't let go of what he was really actually putting his faith in, and that was his own righteousness and his own resources. And those were the two barriers for this man. He couldn't let go, and so he couldn't put his faith in Jesus. He couldn't follow. i try to show you this another, another way. Beth and I as I mentioned this past week, we're up visiting her family up in Canada, and uh, our son Brad and his family drove over from Wisconsin at the same time to be there over the weekend while we were there to also visit family. It was really special because their little two-and-a-half-year-old two and is named Lottie after Beth's mom, who at 92 is also named Lottie. And so this was the first time for 92-year-old Lottie and two-year-old Lottie to meet each other. It's a very special weekend. And our grandson, Trey, who's four and a half, was there as well. And one of the things he loves, he loves cars. Not unusual for most little boys, right? He had his cars, playing on the floor with his cars, as he often does. But what is a little bit unusual is Trey also loves Consumer Reports magazine. <laughs> not your typical tabloid for a four and a half year old. But he loves the car issues because they have pictures and descriptions of all the cars. And so he has gone through that, and he knows, he, 
Those things are dog-eared like crazy. His, his past year's issues, the auto issue of Consumer Reports, Reports magazine. And in fact, this is what he is, as a four-and-a-half-year-old, is reading. So watch this real short video that Beth took to show you this. Tell me what these numbers were for. So this is a... I forget again. What, what did you say that was? Of raw score. Okay, and then these little, these little circles, what are those? Reliability and satisfaction. Oh, okay. And so which one has good reliability and good satisfaction? You mean very good? Yeah, yeah, sure. And what is that one? What's that one called? Ford F-Pace Sport. Oh. Is it a big one? No, it's a small one. Oh, okay. Okay. But it's a good one, huh? And uh, Ford F-Pace is a pretty big one. Okay, thanks. Reliability and satisfaction. <laughs> he'll tell you. If you want to know about any car, ask Trey, he'll tell you. So here we are. Trey is on the floor. He's got his cars. He's got his Consumer Reports magazine. And my brother-in-law has a sweet 2005 Ford Mustang that he keeps parked in their garage. And last Sunday afternoon, he offered to give me and Brad and Trey a ride in his Ford Mustang. So we went to Trey and we said, Trey, how would you like to ride in a real Ford Mustang? Now, you could see his face with this decision. He's looking at his cars that he knows he loves. He's looking at his consumer reports that he loves to read. Would he leave that to go ride in a real Ford Mustang? He kind of looked at it for a minute. He hopped up and he said, yeah, and he went and ran and got his shoes. So here's Trey in the back of the Ford Mustang, strapped in. We went for a ride last Sunday afternoon. Why do I tell you the story? Because there may be something in your life, in my life, these things, the toys that we are so attached to that we pass the real thing. God offers us the real thing. And we say, no, I just want to stay here with my play toys, with my pictures. What are those things we cling to while Jesus is offering us the real thing? What are you trusting in that might be keeping you from trusting Jesus? What did this young man put his faith in that kept him from following Jesus? He walked away because he was relying on his own righteousness, on his own riches to get him into heaven. So Jesus turned to the disciples and explained this hard truth. Here's verse 23. Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples heard this, and Matthew tells us in the next verse, they were stunned. They were shocked. How could Jesus say this? This went against everything they believed. Here's the upside-down kingdom in a major way. According to their Jewish culture, the rich were the ones who were most blessed by God. So they saw this young man and saw he, they be, I believe that he kept all the commandments because his riches proved it. God had blessed his life. And they're thinking, if this man can't get into the kingdom, then who can? 
If he can't be saved, then who can possibly be saved? And that's their question. Verse 25, who then can be saved? Let me take you back to the the phrase Jesus used, because you probably heard this explained before, the camel through the eye of a needle. I've heard this, this explanation, and I looked it up again this week, that, that the needle was the name for a particular gate in Jerusalem, and it was a really low gate, and so if you brought your camel up, you'd have to unpack the camel in order to get him through this gate, meaning it was something that was difficult, but certainly not impossible to do. But there's really no verification for that idea, no, no verification that there was actually a gate called the needle. So I think much more likely is we take Jesus at his word. He was using hyperbole. He wanted to use an example, a metaphor that was crazy, crazy impossible, because that's exactly what he was saying. And a camel through the eye of a needle? No way. And that's what the disciples understood. That's why they asked the question. And Jesus, Jesus follows right up on that. In verse 26, he looked at them and he said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And this is the key to the passage. And we ended on this verse in our reading because this is it. This is the key. Don't miss verse 26 in this passage. It's impossible for anyone, rich or poor, or anywhere in between, good or bad, or anywhere in between, to enter the kingdom of God on their own righteousness, on their own resources. That's not how you get in. But God in Christ has made it possible. And only God can make it possible, and He would do so by the cross. Jesus knew that was coming. It would be made possible as He went to the cross and died for our sins and offered us His righteousness and His riches. And that's the only way in. So here's what's required for us. Living in Christ's kingdom means for us acknowledging our sin instead of trying to prove our own righteousness, instead of trying to be good enough in ourselves. We acknowledge that we're not and that we need God's help. And it means releasing our love for earthly wealth so that we can fully embrace the kingdom and the treasures of heaven and follow the Lord Jesus then without any strings attached. You know, thousands of people from other nations, including the U.S., have gone to fight for the cause in Ukraine, help those, that nation fight for their freedom. I read an interview this past week with a, an American. They only, gave him his, they only gave his first name, Ed, no last name. And in the interview, here's what he said. He said, I'm a former airborne ranger, and when I got out, I went to college. I got a job. I bought my dream car, a Dodge Challenger. I had a really good life, and the GI Bill was paying for school. I had a great girlfriend. And when the war broke out in Ukraine, he decided to go. He dropped it all, he left it all, he sold his car, he bought a plane ticket, he went there to fight for that nation. Now, I don't know, maybe he'll survive and come back and pick up his life here, but maybe not. He might lose his life for that cause. The point is, he was willing to make that choice, 
to leave it all, to give it all. And this is the question I think we have to ask ourselves here. This is the question that Jesus is leading us to. Will I live my life here for me or will I live it for others? There's a whole lot that that includes, but that's basically the question that's being asked here. And I think it is important to also think about what Jesus is not saying here because this can be misinterpreted. I I don't want anybody to misconstrue this. Jesus is not saying that for everyone, we must get rid of all material possessions as a prerequisite to salvation, and then God will accept us. That's not the point at all. That misses it. That would be a works salvation. That is not what Jesus is saying. That's not what the Bible teaches. He was showing this rich young ruler his own weakness. He was showing him the barriers that were in his own heart, that he could not live up to his self-righteous standards, that it wasn't in him. He needed, the man needed to see that. So Jesus helped him see it. And what he's doing here is reminding us that if we're not careful... As others who want to follow Jesus too, if we're not careful, the pleasures and possessions of this world can become a barrier for us too. We have to watch that. They can distract us from His kingdom. Let me give you some fairly specific examples. If building up my retirement fund becomes more important to me than giving to God's kingdom work, then there's probably something out of balance in my kingdom values. If reading my favorite novel takes priority over reading God's Word, then something's not right. If planning my next vacation is more important to me than serving others, then something's out of balance. If sports and hobbies take priority over worshiping God and fellowshipping with His people like we're doing this morning, then maybe I've missed the focus of the kingdom somehow. If I I give more attention to scanning the the menus of restaurants and thinking about what I'm going to eat from one meal to the next, if that's more important to me than thinking about the current hunger crisis in our world and trying to do something about it, then, then maybe something's out of balance. I'm not seeing this as a follower of Jesus. I'm not really living according to His kingdom values. Please understand, none of those are bad things, and that's why I specifically chose things that we all do that are part of our lives. Not that they're bad things, it's just we have to be careful that they don't become the priority over the kingdom things, the kingdom values. And that's what Jesus was pointing out. See, if we're really serious about living as citizens of Christ's upside-down kingdom, then our values, our priorities need to be upside-down to what the world says too. And if I look at my life and I find that my values match the world's, if my priorities are the same as anybody else's in the world, a non-follower of Christ, then I'm not living upside-down. And I'm not living out the values of this kingdom. And we may think about that and look at that and think, well, who can do that? Who could possibly live that way? Who can get into this kingdom? Just like the disciples thought. And Jesus would say to us the same thing he said to them. With man, with you, it is impossible. 
But with God, all things are possible. This is something God can do. This is something God wants to do in you and in me. He wants to turn our values and priorities upside down so they match His. That's the work of God's Spirit in us on a day-to-day basis. That's what we need to be praying for on a day-to-day basis. God, turn me upside down so that I see in my life the values that you see for my life. So, welcome to the upside-down kingdom. What is valued here? Let me summarize it again. It's not my own goodness and righteousness, but the perfect goodness and righteousness of Jesus. It's not my meager riches or my resources. That's not what it's about. It's about the eternal and unlimited riches and resources of Jesus that He offers us. Heavenly treasure. And He offers both of those to us. Don't miss that. That's what it means to come into His kingdom. Receiving His righteousness instead of our own. Receiving His heavenly riches instead of our meager earthly riches. That's what it's about, to follow Him as King. That's what His kingdom stands for. The question is, do we really believe that? Do we really embrace that? Jesus asked His followers to do exactly that. And that raised the last question. I want to take you to the last verses of Matthew 19. I mentioned these words earlier in a sermon earlier. This came into play, and I brought this passage in in Matthew 19. But here, it's right in the context. It's right in the flow of what happens in this passage. So we've got to go back there. Peter states this question, the question that probably all the disciples were asking here, right? At least they were all thinking it in their heads. Peter is the one who blurts it out, and he says in verse 27, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. Basically, he's saying exactly what you told this guy to do and he wouldn't do, we've done it. So the question is, Peter says, what then will there be for us? What is our reward if we give it all up for you? It's a rather brash question, but I'm so glad Peter asked it, right? Because Jesus didn't flinch. He didn't pause. He just, he answered. Verse 28, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, in other words, when this kingdom, spiritual kingdom, becomes the actual, literal, heavenly kingdom, at the renewal of all those things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields, for My sake, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. Do you believe that? you see what Jesus is offering us? Whatever you let go of to hold on to Him will be replaced a hundredfold in His kingdom. So, what do you want to live for? Do you want to live for just the here and now? Is that what's most important to you? Or do you want to live for the there and then, for the eternal? 
Are you clinging to your own righteousness, your own riches? Or are you depending on His righteousness and His riches? Let's pray. Let me just give you a moment before I pray for us, before we sing our last song. Just in quietness for a moment and just silent prayer, if there's a recommitment or a renewal that you need to make with the Lord Jesus this morning to embrace His righteousness, His riches, His kingdom, let me just give you a moment to do that in silent prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for these words that you've spoken, not just to a rich young ruler, but you've spoken to us this morning. And I pray that in hearing your words, we would not go away sad like he did, but with joy and anticipation, we would embrace your kingdom and not let the barriers of our own self-righteousness or our own holding too tight to earthly riches. We would not allow either of those barriers to keep us from following you. Lord, I pray that you would tear those things down, pull them away so that we could fully in faith receive your righteousness to cover our own sin and your riches to replace our meager loves and pleasures. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to see your kingdom with this upside down priorities and values that you offer to us. Lord, I thank you that in you, in you alone, there is hope, there is life, there's joy, and there's complete fulfillment. Remind us of that every single day, we pray, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.